0: I want to invite you to open up your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 19. This morning, Matthew chapter 19, we're going to begin in verse 13 of that chapter. Um, Now there are many, many different topics, of course, that Jesus taught on, that he dealt with during the time of his ministry here upon the earth. Topics that we need to know about, that we need to understand, that we need to apply to our lives, uh, such as those that we've looked at over the past few weeks. Uh, three weeks ago, we looked at uh, the importance of forgiving others, uh, and then we've also looked a couple of weeks ago at marriage, and then last week at at divorce and what that what that means, what that uh, entails, what God has said. But there is one topic that that he seems in his ministry to come back to again and again and again in many different ways. And and it's mixed in with some of these topics. And as things uh, and events uh, arise or arose during his ministry, as they do in today's passage, uh, he uses those to go back to this topic and to drive it home, uh, making it clear. This is, this is central. Uh, and of course it is. It, it, the topic being, how can someone attain to eternal life? What, what, what does it take to be saved, to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Uh, and I, I, those three examples I, I, or statements I give, because they're all saying the same, same thing. They're addressing the same question. And it's the question that Jesus addresses in today's text. Now, He's going to deal with it here, uh, in in the life of one man, and the questions that this man asks, uh, by looking at two major hindrances or impediments that can stand in the way of eternal life. Uh, now, the text that we're looking at, that we're opening up to, uh, like I said, begins verse 13, but it has two different settings. Uh, we're going to be spending most of our time in the second setting. You know, with this man, young man, we often call him uh, the young rich ruler uh, because we're combining different accounts. Uh, in in Luke's gospel, uh, we learn that this man was a, a ruler. Here we learn young, rich, so that's where we we get that from. So that's that's the second account. The first account, though, I, I just want to touch on briefly. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. This is. Uh, One of those accounts where Jesus makes a statement about children. Uh, In this case, now back in chapter 18, uh, he brought a child to be amongst them and he he used that child very similarly uh, to the way he is here. Here, children are being brought to him by parents or others and uh, and the disciples rebuke those who are bringing them. He's a busy man. Uh, And... Uh, Yet Jesus says, no, do not hinder them from coming to me. And he makes a very important statement there about the children and about the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to remind us from that prior account as well that here he's not talking in particular about these children or, or about children per se, but he's making a comparison. He wants us to see the heart of these children. That's what's important here, and that's what prepares us for the passage that comes after that. It's having a certain heart that's like a a, a child's heart that's ready to uh, receive. So have that in mind as I read uh, this entire passage with both accounts. And again, Matthew chapter 19, I'll begin uh, reading in verse 13. This is God's Word. Then children were brought to him, to Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do? To have eternal life. And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, "With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning for this word that we've just read and your and your uh, revelation, your word in its entirety. Uh, we. Thank you that we can recognize, as many of us were talking about earlier this morning in the Sunday school class, uh, that we can recognize that you've given your Holy Spirit that our eyes might be opened to be able to see, to be able to connect, to be able to understand uh, this and other places in Scripture to put them together. And so now, Lord, we pray for your help that you will open our eyes by Your Spirit, to be able to see this Word, to truly understand it in a right way, to apply it uh, to our own hearts. And we look to You for that. Uh, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's been exactly five years since that soccer team in Thailand uh, went into a cave uh, and were... In a wonderful way, rescued out of that cave. There's been a movie, maybe you've seen it called Thirteen Lives, and there there's also been a documentary written about it or, or made on it. Uh, I haven't seen either, but it, I'd like to at some point. But in brief, here's what happened there at the the beginning, as I understand it. You got a team of soccer players, uh, youth. Uh, They had finished their soccer practice and there was a storm that was brewing and somebody suggested uh, going to explore a cave that was close to their soccer field. And so a number of them, 12 members of the team, along with an assistant coach, uh, went to that cave. Uh, And evidently they went there without fear or trepidation. Uh, but at the entrance of the cave, there was a, a sign, a warning that said, uh, "You know, danger! Do not go in the cave during rainy season." Uh, it was rainy season, but they looked around. They didn't see any immediate danger, and they they continued uh, continued in. Now they may have gone in with some amount of unease. I don't know. Uh, They didn't sense any danger at that time. There was nothing evident to them. Yet, while they were exploring in the cave, one of those monsoon-like rains came, uh, and the 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 cave began to flood. And when they tried to make their way out, they couldn't. They were unable, Uh, and so they were stuck. And it wasn't until uh, I think it was about a week later when. Uh, first contact was made with them. They were about two miles inside the cave at that point on a little uh, uh, ledge uh, safe at that point from the water. Uh, Then that was what led to the international efforts to rescue them. Now the account that we've got in our text this morning deals with a question, a question that every single person should have a heart to answer, should be thinking about, should Want to know a right answer to it has to do with that concern for eternal life for salvation uh, and that's what that's what this man in the account uh, asks the question about of of Jesus. He comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher uh, in the other two accounts that that we have uh, he says, Good teacher, but then he says uh, What good deed must I do to have eternal life? The man's got a genuine concern there, and it's a good concern. He wants to know the answer to this important question, and it's a question that does need an answer. And he seems at this point to be ill at ease with the answer that he's provided for himself up to this point. Now think about that soccer team for a moment. Uh, when they were there before the cave, about to go in, there's a sign there that says "danger." Uh, it's a sign that does apply to them. Uh, they might have felt some unease there. They may have asked a couple of questions, maybe of the the assistant coach. You know, are, are we going to be okay going in? Is there anything that we need to do to make sure that this is going to be a a, a safe trip? You know, maybe those were some of the questions that were on their minds. They'd be good questions to ask, wouldn't they? But the answer on that day, on that afternoon, was as they looked around themselves, they didn't see any flooding. They didn't see any evidence whatsoever of danger. Uh, And so they must have thought, well, we're good. We've got everything that we need. Uh, We're good to continue on into the cave. You know, the man that came up to Jesus, this man that we often call the rich young ruler, he had the right concern. Uh... It's clear, he was asking because he was bothered. And he seems to want to genuinely have the right answer to this question for himself. But as we'll see as we go further into the discussion that he has with Jesus, that he does think that he's okay. He doesn't see any real danger in where he is. Now, Jesus is going to show the man his condition, just like that sign at the cave. Uh, He's going to show him the great danger that he faces. He's going to show him how he's deceiving himself. But there's got to be complacency in this man's heart, an inability to see, uh, 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 an inability to take heed. And in the end, the reason for his complacency becomes clear. And that is because he's got something else that's there. It's not the Lord that he's submitted to so that he really hears. He's got another God that's before him. You know, complacency. And a lack of urgency. Uh, it's there within the church today in a big way because we don't always see The immediate need. We don't always see the danger. Uh, And I would say especially where we live today. Now, uh, we definitely shouldn't be be longing to always be faced with death around the corner, to to have to face persecution and, and hardship everywhere. That's not the answer. But think about the soccer team. Uh, As they went into that cave, and just a few hours later, think about the change that took place over them as the water came in. They realized, we can't get out. Now, they saw the danger. Now they recognized what it meant. They were thinking more clearly about it. Now they saw their need for deliverance. And they also came to see over time that they weren't sufficient. You know, Jesus is helping us in this text this morning to make sure that we're not in a place in which we're remaining complacent, uh, that we're not allowing our, ourselves and our hearts to be deceived, uh, that we're not ultimately, when it comes down to it, finding our sufficiency here in our own selves and here in others and in, in, in the things that we have. We're not looking there for our salvation. He wants to make sure that that each of us can answer that question with great certainty because we cast ourselves upon the Lord Jesus and no one else, nothing else. And so in, in this passage, there are two warnings that were given here uh, as, as we hear about the count of the, the rich young ruler. Two warnings that are there to help us. The first one is, don't look for sufficiency in yourself. And the second one is like it, but don't look for sufficiency in possessions. These are there to help us make sure that we're looking in the right place. So the first one, don't look for sufficiency in yourself. You know, perhaps the greatest danger that we face uh, as a people is that we not engage in what I'm going to call performance-based religion. That we don't just do what we think is good and then allow that to be the measure for our status with God, with others, but especially with God. And Jesus' admonition to us is that that is not the way to life. That's not the way to attain life. It's an attempt at self-salvation, which is impossible. Now, in this passage, and in the words of the, or the question of the rich young ruler, you can spot this right away uh, as he asks his question. Listen to how he phrases the, the question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Notice the word good there. And the word deed or work. This man has this discomfort inside. Uh, Maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I'm not doing all the right things. And it seems that he, he longs to have his soul put at rest. And if there's any rabbi out there that can help him with this, then he seems to know it must be Jesus. Now notice for a moment, the shallow assumption that he makes that's behind this question. uh, That he is capable of doing a good deed that's worthy of giving him access to the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus replies in in the way that he does. We might think this is a strange reply, but Jesus is picking up on that word good that the man used and and he says Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. You know what he's doing there? He's pointing out the fallacy of thinking that we can somehow measure up by what we do. We can somehow measure up to the status of the only one who is truly good. You see the problem that's inherent in that? It's a a little bit like a, a child you know maybe all of us have done this if we're young today maybe we've done it more recently but uh you go to a, a beach and there's a child there and they're they're digging in the sand and then they they look up and say I'm digging my way to China and then we we watch as they dig further and further and you can tell they're fully convinced that that's exactly what they're doing they've been told that's China's on the other side of the earth and they get a pretty good picture there Uh, And so they're digging, they fill up their bucket and dump it aside, and fill up their bucket and dump dump it aside, and you kind of chuckle, don't you? Because it's it's laughable. But you also know, I've done the same. This child will grow out of this kind of thinking. Yet here's a grown man in our passage, dealing with the same kinds of absurdities. Yet, in this critical matter, that has to do with, with... eternal life and entrance into the kingdom, he's fully convinced in his mind that he can do something that's great enough, that's worthy enough. And so, what does Jesus do? Well, he goes ahead and answers the man's question. And he answers it straightforwardly, and in doing so, he gets the man to share something about what he's planning, what his plan is for, sal- for salvation. How he's planning to obtain it. And so Jesus uh, says to him, he, he basically says, Here's what it takes uh, to attain life. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And of course, the, the young man asks him, well, Which ones? And Jesus says, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Uh, You shall not bear false witness. Obey your father and mother. And here's the kicker. Now, notice all of those are from the second table of the law, the commandments that that speak about what we are to do in relationship with one another. Uh, But here's here's the the final commandment, and notice this is not a commandment from the Ten Commandments. Uh, This is the commandment that is a summary of that entire table. Uh, and he, he, he says to him, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That commandment shows something of the magnitude of the standard that's being laid down. Now, how do you think the man should answer Jesus? Put yourself in this position. How would you answer it yourself? Especially if you know something from God's Word about the great depth of each of these commandments. Think about the the Sermon on the Mount, if you know about that, uh, where where Jesus said, if you even look upon a, a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you've hated a person, you've committed murder in your heart. And not only that, but He said, kind of the flip side, uh, that you must love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. And, and, and the same all the way through with all of the commandments. And don't, re- don't forget the requirement that we read about earlier out of Leviticus 18, that God's requirement is perfection. If we're going to go that route of obeying the law, it's perfect and perpetual obedience Now, how would you answer, therefore? What should the man's answer to Jesus be? It should be one of humility. It should be looking at himself and seeing his own failure, seeing his own inability, his lostness, and then crying out to the Lord for mercy. But listen to the man's stunning reply He says, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? The reason the man's words are so stunning is because of the level of self-deception that's going on. Can you see there what self-salvation looks like? It's a picture of self-salvation. Somehow finding in yourself that I am sufficient, that I am able to do these things, to attain to this. You know, the prophet Isaiah at one point just very clearly Uh, points out the depth of this error and how prevalent it is. He says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Some versions, like a dirty rag. Under the Old Covenant, what he's talking about there is that which defiles with, with blood, with human blood, and therefore is unable to be in the presence of God. That's exactly what our most righteous deeds do for us. When we say, I can do this. I can be good enough. The distance that exists between us and God is so great that we can never begin to attain it by doing, doing, doing righteous deeds, our own works. Let me first just say if, if you're like this man and 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 you can see you can identify that you uphold your works and the things that you do your deeds and 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 you look to those to somehow make you sufficient and therefore that's how you live I just have to say then your end will be the same if you continue in that path your end will be the same as for this man you know Paul says in Romans chapter 10 He says, speaking about that passage back in Leviticus, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based upon the law. That's what he's talking about. Doing the law. Doing the works of the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. In other words, be judged by them. Where there is lack of perfection, there is judgment that comes. And death, it's the way of condemnation. But let me also say that every one of us here is susceptible to falling back into this way of thinking, this way of of living our lives, this way of 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 looking at things. Uh, this this can be for some of us a deep struggle within our lives as believers. We know, we may know Christ, and and He may be sufficient for us. We may know Him in that way, but maybe we've been living this way for years. Listening to the voice in our own hearts that says, you've got to do this, you've got to perform in this way, you've got to look this way in order to be acceptable. And so we try to take our own performance and add it on top of what Christ has already done. And if you see yourself in that, which is going to be true for many of us here, then what's the result of that? Well, the result of that is usually going to be there's anxiety there. There's a feeling like I'm constantly failing in the Christian life. I'm never good enough because of the the works that I tend to go back and fall upon. The answer to both of these is one. It's to cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus. Knowing that only He is sufficient you know, he is the One who, who came into this, this world and who lived a perfect life, who did the works of the law and He did them for you and He did them for me. And He is the One who died upon the cross to pay our penalty because we weren't able to do those works perfectly. And it's by faith in Him that we take that way of life and it's applied to us, to our, ourselves, to our own hearts. You know, in, in uh, Romans chapter 10, the next verse there, uh, Paul speaks about the righteousness based on faith. This is not the righteousness based on the law, which leads to condemnation and death, but the righteousness based on, upon faith. And he then says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the way of salvation. And this is what we need to go back to again and again and again. is trusting in Christ as sufficient. Not in our own doing. Only in His sufficiency. Uh, and therefore, we've got those wonderful words that we read uh, earlier out of Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's how we are to live our lives day by day, out of, out of that, out of grace, out of what Christ has done, out of His sufficiency, and then we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the way we live our lives. Out of His sufficiency, not looking to earn anything on the basis of our own works, but merely depending upon Christ and what He has done. So, first, never look for sufficiency in yourself. That is self-salvation. Only look for sufficiency in Christ. Secondly, don't look for, for sufficiency in Possessions. Now, this is a second danger that stands in a hindrance of living the spiritual life. Uh, Jesus points this out as another form of self-salvation, which ultimately is a dead end. Uh, now, knowing this man's external performance of, of the law, that, it, uh, that it's just on the surface level, Jesus answers this man's question in a way that exposes his hypocrisy. Uh, So, that this time, the man is unable to come up with an answer for Jesus because he's been exposed. Remember the man had just said, all of these commandments I've kept. I've done good. I've done right. What is it that I still lack? And so Jesus, in verse 21, says to him, if you would be perfect. In other words, complete. In other words, living your life without anxiety, knowing that you have life. Uh, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. You know What happened when the young man heard that? Did he continue to uh, reply to Jesus? No, it just says when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Notice that this man was able to justify himself before based upon his external conformity to the law. You know, and it's absurd in a sense, kind of like the, the child that's digging in the sand. Uh, it's absurd, but not to him. It was enough to justify him, but now Jesus forces him inward. He forces him to examine his heart. What the examination reveals is a God, an idol that's been ruling over him. Remember how before Jesus called his attention to the second table of the law and he he, he went through each of the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and on and on. Uh, uh, All of these, the man believed that he had accomplished them. Yet now, he shows the man that he's in violation of the first and most foundational commandment of the law. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, this is something that should hit home to us. Uh, Because this particular God that Jesus exposes in this man's life is undoubtedly one of the, the, the greatest stumbling blocks in the American church today. The facts are straightforward. Uh, you can look it up on the internet. There are different ways of, of laying out the numbers, but uh, you can't get away from it that we live in the richest country in the world today. And although many of us here uh, may not consider ourselves, most of us, to be rich, but comparatively speaking, to this time and to people over, his, over the time of history, and even today in many other countries, many of us are, would be considered in that category. And so Jesus' words to His disciples are words that need to be heard. They need to be taken in and understood by us. Look at Jesus' words beginning in verse 23. After this man had, had left, he's walked away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus turns to His disciples and He says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he expounds upon that. And he says, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'll just say right there, to hear those words, many have tried to find ways around it. Uh, You may have heard about a a gate in Jerusalem that's a, a small gate that a camel would have to bend down to go through. There is no gate. There has been no gate. That's a way around this. Uh, Jesus clearly meant what it sounds like. He's speaking of an impossibility here. It's just like it sounds. That's why His disciples were so amazed. Now it seems that Jesus is pointing here to this very real problem that exists with wealth. That that's part of this. that, That wealth can stand as a hindrance to spiritual progress. And there's really no doubt about that, that money brings with it a temptation. That there is a temptation to rest in it. That there is a temptation to to think that you're sufficient by its means and apart from that of the Lord. That temptation is there. Uh, There's a temptation for worldly thinking to enter in. uh, That we begin to see ourselves instead of stewards for all that God has, has provided But rather, we begin to desire it more and more. And we know that that's a a warning that's inherent uh, in this text. But the real question that Jesus is dealing with is that of entering into the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus has just said, He said that's essentially impossible for the rich. And His disciples echoed that. And so they asked this question. They were astonished. And they, they asked, well, who then can be saved? And the key comes with Jesus' answer to that question. But Jesus looked at them and He said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You can see what He's saying there. That, that God, the Gospel, the Lord Jesus, can overcome any hindrance no matter what it is. Uh, the evidence that's needed is that a heart is given over to Christ. And when that happens, a person who may be in whatever condition, they may be very wealthy, and they may have been holding on to that wealth with their fist, but all of a sudden when that happens, their hand loosens up. It opens up because what that God that was there before has now been replaced with another God, which is the God and that's that 's what they see, and this is this is the way of salvation and and they hear and they see who Christ is and what he has done, and their hands open up you know you can think about uh, and this is true for no matter what the wealth is, whether it 's big or small, uh, but think about that little wee man, Zacchaeus, tax collector, very wealthy man, uh, certainly held on to his money very tightly, but when he was won over by Christ. When he, he looked upon Christ from up in that tree and, and saw the Lord Jesus for who He truly is and, and the Lord opened up his heart, uh, here, here are the words of Zacchaeus. He said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You know, Jesus' reply was, today salvation has come to this house since He also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came for this. For the Son of Man came to to seek and to save the lost. This is the answer. That yes, wealth can stand in the way as an impediment. But Jesus' answer to you, whether you have great resources or few resources, is to be found in Jesus' final answer to this young man that was here before him, the final words before the man left, he said, come and follow me. And he wasn't speaking of just a one-time following. He was saying, follow me. And when you fall away, follow me. Come back and return and have a heart that has been opened up to the Lord, a heart that's been made ready for this. You know, so the question that comes out of that is, what has the greatest grip over your heart is it the Lord Jesus or is it possessions or is it something else that occupies that spot what is the Lord looking for here he's looking for an attitude that abandons everything in order to receive God's unearned grace something that we can't do for ourselves so that we will have everything remember the riches of this world Are only temporary. But the riches that He has for us are eternal. The thing that God wants, the only thing that He will settle for is your heart. Whether it's that first time that it's offered or from then on, day after day after day, as you live your life before Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. uh, Living out of the grace that you've been shown. Uh, listen to these words. This is out of uh, Jesus' teaching in, in Luke 12. He says this, "...fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." Notice that's how He leads off. "...it is, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you all things, that which will not perish, spoil, or fade." And then he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice, that's, that's what he's really talking about, is what is the condition of your heart? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be Also, there are two approaches to the kingdom. One of those is is that path that is man's own salvation. It is the path of works. It is the path of attainment, of earning. And it's a path that ultimately is completely impossible. It ends up with death and judgment. But the other path, is that in which you cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus, giving yourself and your heart over to Him, knowing what He has done for you, receiving His grace, and then living day after day after day out of that. Think of the, young, the rich young ruler. He came with anxiety in his heart because he had this, this sense underneath that my path is not the right path. Notice how he left hanging on to that same Path that same God but the Lord Jesus offers us that path in which we come to know inside this is the way of salvation this is the right path and this is the way to live day after day with our God and it is good and we have joy inside and all the other blessings as a result he's asking us look at your heart where is your heart please join me in prayer Father, we thank you uh, for this, uh, for your your word. We thank you for this um, account of the young man that came to the Lord Jesus and for the way Jesus replied to him. And we thank you, Lord, for the ways that it's designed to open up our eyes to be able to see. Help us, Lord, to see it honestly, to open our hearts truly before you and to hear the truth that is there for us. And therefore, just like those last words that Jesus gave to that man, help us, Lord, to follow Jesus, simply and constantly to follow Jesus. We pray for your help in Jesus' name.